0: So it would be time for our kids' message this morning. Are we going to get kids up here this morning? <laughs> Looks like we've got at least a couple working their way up here. Okay. Thought you brought biscuit, huh? So now I know you, and I know that you're good at pretending. But here's a question. Did you ever pretend something so I want to talk to you, not biscuit, by the way. <laughs> Did you ever talk pretend something so well that you actually believed it was true? Can you do that? Not really, right? In fact, if you don't know that something is true, or if you really have reason to believe that it's not, you can't believe in it at all. So I have kind of a story that goes with this. A number of years ago, we had one like you living at our house. You know, one of your older brothers that uh, he actually took money that belonged to one of the other kids at our house, and the money was gone, and You know, when the money was discovered to have been missing, we organized kind of the search party. Well, long story short, it became pretty clear that there were a number of people earnestly looking for the money, and then there was this one that was just sort of half-heartedly pretending to look for the money, right? So, because he knew that the money was never going to be found, it was already gone, right? Right? And so this is how it is kind of with God. If we don't know that he's there, we miss so many things that we could otherwise see. So there are amazing things that happen around us. And a lot of times we miss them because we just don't believe amazing things even happen. How about that? The Bible calls this condition of not knowing God, being lost, and not seeing the things that he is doing in the world. And, you know, so I brought this in. If you're lost, what do you need? You need a map, right? And this is a book of maps. It's called an atlas. They don't make these anymore because of GPS now. But I had to dig high and low, by the way, to find this. I used to have so many of these laying around, right? See, if you look at the map for a second here, like, you not only find your destinations on the map, right? There are lots of other road mar- or landmarks along the way. And this is how it is with life, too. You know, sometimes it's good to know where the landmarks are, or at least what the workaround is. Like, um, what's a landmark in life? I mean... A lot of times, landmarks in life are like the mountains of life that provide that are problems to overcome. You know, things like loneliness, bad relations with other people, disappointment, you didn't get what you wanted and you're not sure it's ever going to come. Or you even prayed and you, you feel like your prayer wasn't answered. Wouldn't it be nice if there was a map that showed you how to get around those circumstances. Sure would, right? Well, guess what? You're in luck. There is. It's called the Bible, right? (laughs) Now, um, you might have heard I've been given a message to the big people lately about changing our hearts, right? And the Bible basically says that without seeing the map, without understanding what the Bible says, we really can't do that we got to change our hearts, though, and put the Bible in our heart. That is God's rule and law in our heart so that we can experience all that God has for us. That's what I want to talk with the big people about today. How's that sound? Good? All right. Really is hard to find an atlas any longer. You know, used to be able to go to any convenience store and pick up a road map, and (laughs) not any longer. So, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be accepting in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. You know, we don't merely choose to believe or not. In fact, we cannot. We can't choose today to believe something that we didn't believe when we walked in this door. More or less, that's true. See, we we can't turn our beliefs on a dime. And belief doesn't come quickly. It takes experience. And by the way, we make this mistake in ministry when we minister to someone, and, well, now I told them once or twice, why don't they believe now? Right? Right? Our job is to sow seeds, and those seeds take time. And ministries sometimes give up. Ministers sometimes give up because they don't see the growth happening in in their allotted time frame. However, we can choose to take in the word of God and allow it to steadily pull us in a godly direction. And this is what changes the world. Change begins in the heart, one heart at a time. And it's more radical change than the biggest, grandest plans and the most money and most power of earth thrown at something doesn't change it the way the change of heart changes. God is central to this change. If there is no God, everything becomes about me. And this was the Bible's criticism of the pagan religions around Israel. Without God, everything focuses on the person. Even the gods that they worship. They worshiped to get what they wanted. I sacrificed to Baal so that Baal will give me a blessing. You see, without God, everything becomes about my own decisions. I decide what's right and wrong, what's moral, immoral, which is the right way to go. In such a society, the goal becomes to get rid of God and move him out of the way so that the law is totally up to us and what we decide. And unfortunately, I I look across our American landscape today and I think that that's happened to some degree in our own country. But how has it worked in the past? How has it worked over the past hundred years? Does man choose wisely when man is left to his own devices? And of course, you know, the answer is no. Um, but answering the question about God incorrectly, in fact, is at the core of all human dysfunction and corruption so we as people then look at the range of dysfunction and you know then tend to create an order out of that from greater to lesser dysfunction or the other way around we sort of begin to see our world as well so i'm a tightwad but that's not as bad as being greedy which isn't as bad as you know being an addict of some sort, which isn't as bad as shoplifting, which isn't as bad as fraud, which isn't as bad as mugging people, you know, and so on down the line till we get to the serial killer, right? Or I call it, you know, the Mother Teresa to the Adolf Hitler continuum, you know, and sort of tend to feature myself closer to Mother Teresa, so I'm basically good. However... It all misses the point. And the point is this. All of these behaviors, these thoughts, are manifestations of a heart that does not trust God. It doesn't trust God to meet our needs. It doesn't trust God to grow us through pain. It doesn't believe that God loves you, that Jesus truly loves you. For this reason, as Paul noted, If you break a fraction of the law, you're a lawbreaker. Sadly, this is even true among Christians. Our lives don't seem to differ much from others in our society, at least not superficially when we've seen from the outside. You know, in fact, even divorce rates and things like that are fairly similar among Christians as they are in greater society. And that's sad. And it leads us to believe either that we're just fine, you know, or that especially in the cases of like high-profile Christian failure, that there is no such thing as transformation. Look, if the priest, a priest cannot allow the Holy Spirit to get him ahead of his proclivities, then how can anyone else? Granted, We never arrive at that destination and we never get to rest on our laurels. And even in so saying, they're not our laurels. Humanity offers no past attainments worthy of God's special accommodation. Always and for sure, without God, we remain lost, wicked, ruined. It's even God's initiative that brings us out of that. To be lost forever, all we need do is nothing. But what is it to do, and how are we supposed to do it then? Carrying your own cross takes more will than the most stubborn among us can muster without the grace of God. We need a vision then, I believe, why would I want to carry my cross? What will it do if I... What will, what will happen if I do? So we need a vision of what this will do for us. And then we need intention. That is, we need the act of our own will. We can't merely just drift into this. And then we need means. That is, kind of instrumentalities, ways to do this that will work without fail. Now let me give an example of what I'm talking about. If I decide I want to learn Spanish, I need a vision of what learning Spanish is going to do for me, what will help me communicate with my students and some of my neighbors. I might be able to communicate at a deeper level that English just loses. And then I I need the intention to do it. I need to decide I'm going to do it. I need to study it. I can't just wander through life waiting to see if Spanish happens to me, right? It's not going to. And then I need the means to do. You know, the tried and true method, the books, the study guide, the immersion class, whatever. In the case of Christianity, the vision is the transformed soul in the kingdom of God. It's trust by intention. It's engaging the will to obey God. And the means is ever-increasing grace that comes with experience. This transition needs to begin in the mind. Our mind is the gatekeeper to the heart. So information is primary. Transformation requires knowledge of God. Failure to know God and what his law requires destroys the soul and ruins society. It leads people to eternal ruin. Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And on to 4.14, a people without understanding comes to ruin. Straight thinking by the power of the Holy Spirit, that is allowing the word of God in in the first place and exercising our will over thoughts, beginning to bend them bend them toward a pattern of thinking about the truths of scripture, meditating on God's law day and night, finding God's law, God's way is beautiful. At first, it takes will. But as we exercise our will, grace provides the means to keep going. And I begin begin to think differently. Is there a crisis? My thoughts begin to become, I will meet it with the knowledge that God will provide. Am I disappointed? My thoughts become, I can rest in the knowledge that God will work things out. Am I undertaking some task? I can, my thoughts become thoughts of rest because I know that God provides what's needed. Am I even condemned? My thoughts change because I know that God loves me and he's supporting me. By taking control of our thought life, we trans, trans, I'm sorry, excuse me, I was an itchy nose here in the middle of. It. By taking control of our thought life, we transform the other half of our mind. That is our feelings. Now, the Bible has a kind of different view of this than we have in modern 21st century America. Feelings in the Bible are, well, they're primarily emotions on the women's side and desires on the men's side. These are the same things, just sort of flip-flop side of the coin, and that's not to say that men don't have emotions or women don't have desires, but it's kind of put in a male-female tense in this way. Nonetheless, I'm gonna call them desires, but what I'm talking about are feelings, emotions, and those desires. Being mastered by our desires is like riding the conveyor belt directly to the buzzsaw of sin. We begin, once we begin to transition or transform our mind, we begin to desire not to have the desires that we have. Instead, we desire to be free, free from intense vanity, the desire for wealth or anger or fear or other indulgences, free from the wounds that led us to the feelings that we have. Feelings aren't merely to be denied or repressed. That's not what the Bible says at all. And we know that doesn't work. But they're to be traded, rather, for love, joy, peace. To be traded for a transformed view of who I am, a new identity in Christ. Now that the gateway to the heart is open through the mind, the heart itself can be transformed. And the heart, again, is spirit and will. It's also kind of the character of who we are. And that can be transformed. We can lose the innate evil spirit that we have. And, And we have this without God in our lives. If we haven't heard the word, that's all it takes. The the evil spirit, the evil attitude of the heart, the demon in the heart always asks us, how can I get what I want? And then the evil will focuses on self-serving. It creates manipulation, deception, seduction and malice to get what it wants. And the evil character, a character, is kind of the overall self that we create by the pattern of behaviors, which are you know, actions that kind of arise out of us without thinking or thought, because of how we've build ourselves up. But anyway, our character is affected by that. As we bend our heart more and more toward God, the Holy Spirit, Will focus us on transparency, on sincerity, on goodness. Our will will align with God's will. We'll focus on ways that we can serve God, to lead and and lead an in intelligent and energetic participation in accomplishing God's will. Our character becomes. Quios, that is the son of God that looks like God, the true child of God. And then reverberating out from the heart, this transformation then affects the whole body. It affects the body, then the, I mean, it affects the whole soul. It affects the body, and then our social interactions, and then our entire being. We move from worshiping our body, that is, how we look, and our body is sort of the center of our own desires and self-gratification. We can move out from that. You see, the Bible talks about how the body takes into itself desires that enslave us to sensuality and things like this. This is a transition from the self to the self-God. That is self-idolatry. When Paul talks about sinning against your own flesh or bearing a sin in the flesh, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about using your body in such a way that the body builds up its own addiction to something that the body then has its own thought, almost, its own control over what it wants that's very difficult to overcome just with the will But with the transformed body, the body becomes free of addictions and of the flesh as they're killed off and as we die to those desires. The body is transformed into a living and holy sacrifice to God as we bear our cross. It becomes the temple of God and the shrine of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the West... We tend to think of ourselves as individuals, as independent, sort of self-sufficient, loner entities. But that's not how the Bible views us. You see, transformation is never just between me and God. It also involves those around me and in my greater community. The natural human condition is supposed to be one of cycles of reciprocal rootedness and sufficiency. In other words, because we care about each other, we support each other, we fill each other's needs, but in a world where we don't get the inside right, those rea- social interactions aren't right either. You know, there's probably no greater Image of this love than the mother and child relationship. Where is there ever another relationship where trust is greater than between the child and the mother? That's how our relationships ought to be in the greater world, but instead we've risked and been hurt and we come back into ourselves or we're never focused in that direction in the first place, I don't really care how other people trust me or not, I'm getting what I want. You see, in order to serve society, we need to love our neighbors. But what is this love? You know, love is actually, all times, always wanting the best for another person. We can't do it if we don't know God because we can't even determine what the best is without his his guidance. Once we've got the social side right, the soul, that is the aspect of us that is the whole of our being, is now subjugated to Jesus Christ. And through grace and communion with God's own soul, the restored soul, is at rest without inner turmoil. It's not torn between things that can't both be at the same time, which is the condition that we live in without God, it seems to me. That is, it should be this way for me, but other people, it should be that way for them. This vision is a vision of one truly rooted in God's grace, living in the kingdom, here and now. Now, I know I have ways to go on my own journey. I'm by no means arrived and can't rest on my own laurels any better. But it's this vision that keeps me going. And certainly, I want to get there. I want to get more of this kingdom life. So I choose to trust God to keep on track. And grace never disappoints. It continues to build. By the way, don't think that the saints are the ones that don't need the grace. Saints are the ones that access it the most.